Well, I'm going to say it. Happy Valentine's Day. Turn to your, to your spouse, all you married folks, and you don't even have to be married, but say, all together on three, let's say it nice and big. Happy Valentine's Day on three. One, two, three. Happy Valentine's Day. Now, wasn't that nice? That wasn't hard to say to your spouse, now was it? Amen. Dr. Mark teaches us to be very intentional in the way that we demonstrate our love for one another. Amen. How many of you kind of notice that in the getting a, the developing great relationships and walking in victory? So how many of you are walking in victory today? Amen. And whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. They that come to must believe that he is, and that he's a reward of them that diligently seek him. Amen. How many of you seek God today? Anybody? And, you know, because you can't please God if you're not seeking him. When he has to come seeking you like Adam and say, Adam, where art thou? That's not a good sign. You need to seek him. He should not have to be seeking you. And we need to be always seeking with all our heart, the Bible says, and then we'll be found of him. And so when we seek him, then he allows us in. And did you know he hides himself from the proud and he reveals himself to the humble? A lot of people say, I don't know, God. You know, I, you know, I, he, they expect God to perform and jump through the hoops and prove himself like, like God needs to prove himself to us when he created the whole universe that we're sitting in and created us and then we want him to prove himself. No, we need to prove to him that we have faith in him. Can I get an amen? How many of the world's got it exactly backwards? Just stupid backwards. And they think God should have to prove himself to us. No, we need to prove our faith to him. He's already proven himself. He says all of creation testifies that there is a creator if there is a creation. Can I get an amen? God has nothing to prove. He's already proved all. The only people that have something to prove is us, that we're worthy uh, to have faith to believe and receive him and not go to hell. So we better prove that we have faith. And it says, I will show you my faith by my works. You say, oh, I've got faith. And James says, oh, big deal. The, de- the devils, have, they know there's a God. They believe that there's a God. But until you have works, you, ain't, you don't got nothing. You got absolutely zilcho, nothing, until you have works and corresponding action that goes with your faith. Can I get an amen this morning? See, we're the one that need to prove something. You know, God, God's from Missouri. He says, show me. Show me your faith. Well, it's true. He does say that in James. He says, I'll show you my faith. I will show you my faith by my works. And, you know, it's not that my faith, uh, it's that my works saves me, but it does show you, uh, we do show people our faith by our works. Amen. So we need to do things, and marriage is like that too. See, marriage is something that we've got to do. We've got to show faith in God. It isn't just like, oh, God, give me a good marriage. God says, no, you show me. (laughs) Prove to me that you're going to do good and have a good marriage. That's your responsibility, not mine. Somebody say amen. Well, God, when are you going to fix my marriage? God's saying, when are you going to fix it? Amen? Well, it just really got quiet, just like I hit a wall right there, and it got really quiet. But that's true, because God's given us the power to fix things by using faith in his word and causing things to be changed. Amen? Let's bow our head and we'll pray. We're going we're gonna to talk about three keys to success in marriage and things that we need to understand or we'll never get it right. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your love. Father, I thank you today that you give clarity of mind, articulation of speech, boldness of spirit. Father, I thank you today that each one here will have ears to hear, hearts to receive, and a will to do your word. Father, may we be changed thereby, transformed, conformed to your image, a sweet-smelling savor, an illuminating light, a walking epistle of truth for all men to see, read, and know, and be changed by. And we'll give you all the praise in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen, amen. You know, as I look at marriage, I see that uh, the statistics aren't real good, but really the statistics are very deceptive. You know, they say, you know, well, 60% of all marriages are failing. Really, in Bible-believing churches, it's way, way better than 60% divorce rate. And among real Christians that really read their Bible, pray together, and live the Christian life together, it's about four people in every thousand 
Four marriages in about every thousand break up and divorce. So doing the right thing makes all the difference. It isn't God may fix my marriage. It's me. Do it right. If only four out of a thousand marriages break up to those who read their Bible together, pray together, go to church and live their Christian life out together, it almost rarely ever happens. So what does that tell us? It tells us that we have something to do with it. Can I get an amen? So there are keys to having a successful marriage, and that's what we want to talk about on this Valentine's Day because you know what? It isn't just happy wife, happy life. It's happy happy life when we obey God. It's happy life and happy wife when we are doing what the Word of God tells us to do. And there are keys that can make or break your marriage. And God holds those keys. And the foundation of it is this, that God holds primarily the man responsible for the condition of the marriage relationship. Now, I'm not going to be real hard on that. I, I, but, but if you know that, it helps. Can I get an amen? And that doesn't give the ladies a license to misbehave. Say, see, it's all the man's fault. No, 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 no. But the men have the more difficult challenge, I believe, in many ways. And I'm not going to say difficult. The great, let me put it like this. The men have the greater responsibility laid upon them. Now, this isn't come beat up on the men day, like in a lot of churches. Because let me tell you something. I think men are being greatly put down, demoralized, denigrated, de, de, uh, t- trying to be stripped of all their authority and all their dignity, kicked to the curb, thrown under the bus, Treated like garbage. I think that's, that's just really mainstream uh, America today is anti-men. How many of you have noticed that? Amen. And, and this is one preacher that can't stand it and is not, you know, whenever we talk about marriage, it isn't beat up on the men day because, because I, I despise that. And I think it's even gotten into the church. Like everything that's wrong with everything is the men. But let me say this on the other side of the coin. The men hold some of the keys. And the men do have the greater responsibility laid upon them. And don't blame me for that. That's in the word of God. Somebody say amen. Say, we still love you, Pastor Bill. All right, thank you. But it's really true. We have to be mindful of that. Proverbs 8.22 says, He who finds a good wife findeth a good thing and obtains favor of the Lord. It doesn't say she who finds a good wife. Excuse me, husband. We got some of the other around here. I mean in our culture today, but we're not even going to go there today. But he who finds, it, it isn't even in the mind of God that a woman goes out and finds a husband. That is so off kilter, that is so backwards, that is so uh, utterly unscriptural. It's not even funny. So he who finds a good wife. Now the wife, the girl may know it when, when Mr. Perfect shows up, she may know it, and the Holy Spirit may talk to her, but she's not the one who's called to be the pursuant. The man is. So he who finds a good wife finds a good thing. And he has the skills to, to you know, even in the garden it says that, that the man will rule over the woman, and that's a part of the fall. That's a bad thing. But the man was first, and, and God called him to be the pursuer. And, and, and there's this, so he's equipped differently than the wife, and, and the woman is equipped differently to respond. And the man needs to be the initiator, and the woman needs to be the responder to that initiation. See, if you don't know that, you know, there's a, there's a lot of young guys that are just humble enough. They're waiting on God. And guess what? When you're 80 years old, you're still going to be waiting on God. But you need to wait. And if God shows you someone or you're attracted to someone or you feel in your heart, towards someone, you have to be the one to make the move. Can I get an amen, guys? Amen. It isn't just going to happen. He who findeth a good wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord because God wants, it's not good for men to be alone. He wants couples. And if you're single, don't, don't I mean, there's, there are situations where God wants some people to continue in that, and others, he wants to help them, and there's all kinds of situations out there. So we don't try to put a hard cookie-cutter, you know, stamp of how everybody's got to be. But again, I just want to say this, that 
find, he who finds a good wife. And let me tell you something, that alone, that alone, before you do anything else, will eliminate 90% of your problems in life is finding the right wife. I thought this was Valentine's Day, Pastor Bill. You're going to talk to us nice today. These are the hard realities of what, you know, getting somebody some flowers and a box full of chocolates is not going to replace these deep and profound eternal principles that will make you have a Valentine's Day every day. Come on. You're you're so responsive this morning. 90% of our problems are eliminated by finding the right person. And let me tell you something. It, It makes a difference. Don't be unequally yoked. Don't be unequally yoked, especially, you know, marrying a non-believer or marrying someone who's not baptized in the Holy Spirit or someone who really isn't, you know, fired up and in the Word, someone who doesn't serve at church. You need to find somebody who you're equally yoked with. You need to find that type of person that God can use the two of you together and that one is not always pulling the other one around in the wagon. How many of you know the one that has to pull the wagon all the time gets tired? Somebody say Amen. You both need to get out and both be equally yoked and both of you pull the wagon. Some like sitting in the wagon and they, well, my wife will do all the praying around here for me. My wife is the spiritual leader. I'll just throw it off on her. How many of you know that's a horrible, that's a recipe for disaster? And the same way, if the wife doesn't, doesn't do her job and isn't the helpmate, it, it, is, it is a disastrous situation. So first of all, before anything gets started, just find the right wife. Guys, it's your responsibility to find that godly, Proverbs 31, right kind of wife. Amen. And how do I know that? Well, the the scripture is full of this. Proverbs 7, it talks about the young man who lacks sense in relationships with women. We'll just go there and and read a few verses about it. It doesn't talk about the young young woman who falls into, uh, you know, the whoremonger, but it's the young man who falls into the relationship with the whorish woman. And so, now, now we're talking about for, before marriage ever gets started. It starts way, way back then. Well, then you say, well, Pastor Bill, it's too late for us. Well, no. What about your kids? What, what about uh, just repenting from things? You know, when we repent from doing something wrong, God will give us a new beginning. Amen? Amen. It says, my son, keep my word and lay up my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments and live and the law as the apple of thine eye. And you, you know, you think, you know, Keep my word and keep my commandments and bind them upon thy fingers. Write them upon the table. Then you just talk. Then right after, you know, I think he's going to talk about some great, profound, deep theological, you know, sanctification, justification, predestination, or or some other Asian and and some real high and lofty. Then he just talks about don't go out with that gal because she's really, she's really kind of whorish. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, wow. He said, and I beheld a young, man, simple one. And I discerned a vo- the void uh, used, and a young man void of understanding. Everybody say, young man. Void of understanding. Passing through the streets near her corner, and he went the way to her house. And in the twilight of the evening, in the black of the dark. Now, we're talking about, okay, we got a guy who's a simpleton, and he's in the darks. Now, now just think about the spiritual parallels right there. Simple young people that are in the dark, that are going towards the harlot's house, and the, and the lifestyle of fornication. Right there, you could preach for about three hours about our culture, where it is right today. Our young culture is a bunch of millennials who don't know their left hand from their right in many occasions. They're wandering through the dark, and they're on their way to the house of the harlot. And when it ends, it says, and it says this, and her house is the way to hell going down to the chambers of death. But that's before we even explain what she's like. And behold, there he met a woman with the attire of a harlot. Right there it tells you the way a girl dresses tells you a lot about the condition of her heart. The attire of a harlot? Oh, harlots have a certain attire? Yeah. It's called seduction. It's called provocativeness. Yeah. The heart and the way you dress are connected. Somebody say amen. Talks about in Peter... The humble daughters of Abraham who are not adorned with silver and gold and harlot type of jewelry is is the implication there, 
but in the meekness of her heart is she adorned. Amen. You can tell a girl that you should marry and a girl that you shouldn't marry. Can I get an amen? Just by the way she dresses. The Bible makes that super clear. And you don't, well, Jesus doesn't care what we wear. He really doesn't, but he does care about your heart and you, the way you dress indicates your heart. I can prove that right here in Proverbs 7 and in First Peter, third chapter. It's very, it's very apparent. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot, subtle in heart, loud and stubborn. Right there, if somebody's loud, a female is loud and stubborn, red flag. They don't understand spiritual things. Her feet abide not in her house. She, she's a runaround, red flag. See, all of these admonitions, he's talking not to that. He's talking to the man. Now, you'd think he was rebuking some woman, who, who loose woman. He, he's not rebuking a loose woman. All of this is addressed to Solomon's sons. He's talking to, you know, if you know the book of Proverbs, it's he's talking to his kids. He's writing these for his kids daily for 30 days out of the month. And he's teaching them some things. You know, Solomon got pretty messed up with women. How many of you know that? He was a disaster. I think he must have lived in Hollywood or something. But anyway, she is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. Now she is without, now in the streets. And she lieth in wait. She's a schemer. And she's got plans. And she's going to be a manipulator. Females that manipulate men. She's got a plan to catch him like a bird in the snare. She's a manipulator. She caught him and kissed him with an impudent face said unto him. What's she doing kissing him? If anybody's going to be kissing by the man ought to be kissing the woman because he's supposed to be the pursuant. Right there that tells you something. Come on, somebody, say amen. Can I teach you young people? We're going to talk to the young unmarried, the married, and even the post-married in some cases. Let me tell you something. The Bible has an answer for all of us. I don't care what stage you're in, where you are in that, in that movement towards a good marriage. I don't care if you're before and looking tor- towards it, if you're in the middle of it, uh, if, if you've been even divorced and you've been out of it. I, the, the Bible fixes everything. Can I get an Amen. And it reveals everything and it exposes everything about everything. And so here we go on. I have peace offerings. So now she's a, false, she's a churchgoer. She's really a hypocrite. And she, and she does premeditated sin and premeditated repentance. In other words, I'm going to go ahead and sin, so I'm just going to pay up first before I even go sin. How I many you know that's really perverted? That's really whacked out. There's a lot of people know they're going to go cheat on their wife. They're going to go, you know, have sex. They're going to go out and do all these things. And, oh, God, forgive me before I even go do it. Because I know I'm going to go do it. No, you need to repent. Not keep asking for it and keep doing it. Because as long as you keep doing it and you keep asking that, that just proves that you never repent. And that you're asking forgiveness is really false. And that you love your sin more than you love your God. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloe and cinnamon. Come, let us have our fill. And then it goes on and on. It says in 21, it says, With her fair speech she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips she forced him. He goeth after straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter, as the fool to the correction of the stocks, till the dart strike through his liver, as a bird hasten to the snare, and knoweth not that it is for his life. Hearken unto me, now therefore, O you children, and attend to my words in my mouth. Let not thy heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her paths. For she hath cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell. Goeth down to the chambers of death. And all of this is a warning to the men. This is a description of the woman, but a warning to the men. Why? Because men, God's going to hold you responsible. Starting all the way with when you started looking at women to the whole process. And then we go to Proverbs 31, and it decides, how many of you know the Proverbs 31 woman? The Proverbs 31 woman is like the ideal model of ladylikeness and being a godly woman. And you can go there and it starts out in the words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. Again, this is a warning to the man. Everybody say, a warning to the man. What, my son, and what the son of my womb, and what the son of my vows? 
Give not thy strength unto women, nor the ways to that which destroyeth kings. And then you go on down, and in the latter part of that, it says, who can find a virtuous woman in verse 10? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that she shall have no need of spoil. And she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. That's who you want to marry. That Proverbs 31.10 versus that, chapter seven, that Proverbs chapter 7. And that's a decision that you have been warned, men, and that you make that choice, men, and that's how you enter into either a good marriage or a bad marriage. Can I get an amen? So Valentine's Day starts before you ever think about getting married. About the type of women that you'll allow yourself to be around, the type of women that you'll allow yourself to pursue, and the type of women that you allow yourself to be interested in instead of godliness. So marriage starts way before you say, I do. And so we've got to understand how important this is. And so, you know, and it says in 1 Corinthians 7 and 9, it says that the woman was created for the man and not the man for the woman. Because the woman came from the man and the man did not come from the woman. And the woman was created for the man. And here it seems like, God, you just keep heaping all the responsibility on the man. Here you're warning the man about everything. And it seems like the woman was the one doing everything wrong in Proverbs 7. And, and, and that you're, but then you show him, and the mom tells the son, son, this is the type of woman that you need to marry, one that will do you good all the days of your life and not harm, and this is the one that you're, these are the type you're supposed to choose. So all these things. And then all of a sudden when Adam and Eve screw up, it says, Eve, where art thou? Oh, excuse me, he said Adam, didn't he? And he didn't say, Adam and Eve, where art thou? He said, Adam, where art thou? Again, the responsibility seems to always swing towards the men. He who finds a good wife. Oh, look out and don't choose these type of Proverbs 7 wicked horse women. Choose a Proverbs 31.10 godly woman. Oh, man, because he who finds a good wife findeth the good things. And I've even shown you the type of wife that would be bad, and I've shown you the type of wife that would be good. So before we even get started with marriage, we've got to understand that men have to take initiative. And you know what that means, ladies? That means, ladies, you've got to let the men take the initiative. Somebody say amen. The man is commanded to lead by God. He does not have a choice. But ladies, you need to let him. Because he has a command from God that if he doesn't follow, we'll mess up everything. Somebody say amen. amen. So that's a, that's a command to love and be the leader, but it's also a command to submit and be the follower and the helpmate. And whether we like it, leave it, or lump it, that's what the Word of God teaches. Somebody say amen. amen. It's really what the Word of God teaches. And if we love God, we'll obey his commandments, the Bible says. Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. See, if we love, and it says hereby we don't, do know that we love him if we keep his commandments, and another place in John also says that. So we have to look at this and say, how, how can we uh, do this? But we should be excited because I'm going to give you the three G's of the garden that bring success to your marriage. And it starts with the men and the, and the women allowing the men to do this. Number one, the Bible teaches that we are to guide, and then number two, to guard, and number three, to govern in a servant leadership manner. Everybody say it with me. Guide, guard, and govern. Everybody say it. Guide, guard, and govern. And the men are to guide, they're to guard, and they're to govern. And Adam and Eve are the picture, they're the first lesson of the Bible. How many of you think the first lesson of the Bible might be the most important one? The Bible starts with the marriage in the Garden of Eden. It ends with the marriage at the marriage supper of the Lamb in the book of Revelation. And everything stands in between those two weddings is ultimately comes down to being about marriage between us and our God, Israel, and the, and the Father God, us and Jesus. We're the bride, he's the groom. So marriage is a big deal with God. And I believe this, that when we get marriage right, so many other things come into line in our lives. Amen. Turn to Genesis two fifteen through 17, and we're going to look at the admonition to guide and how important it is because Adam was called to guide in the garden. And in Genesis two fifteen through 17, when you're given instruction, the person with the instructions are the ones that's going to have to guide. Well, we're going to go, you know, we're going to go down there. 
uh, to Joaquin, Texas. I'm going to be preaching for Brother Jeff Spring here in a week or so. And I know this, that uh, whoever has the instructions will be able to guide. And, you know, Siri has the instructions, but sometimes she gets it wrong even. But you cannot guide until you've been given the instructions. The word of God is our instructions in life. And God gave the word of instruction to Adam, and there's no mention of him giving it to Eve. It's, it's assumed and it's presumed that he would give that to Eve. And so here is what God told Adam in the Garden of Eden. We're going back there into the Old Testament. We're looking at Genesis two fifteen through 17. Look what it says. And the Lord God took the man and he put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So now he knows what he's supposed to do and guard it. To dress it means to farm it, and to keep it means to guard it. How many of you know uh, when you put a bunch of sweet corn out in the garden and the, and the raccoons start, surra- start gathering around the garden, uh, you're not only going to have to guard, uh, farm it, but you're going to have to guard it from the raccoons or they're going to eat all your sweet corn. Anybody ever had a raccoon get in your sweet corn? They're nasty little devils. They will eat it all, and they will have a feast at night. When you're nowhere to be found. That's the way the devil is. Anything that you plant, you're going to have to guard. How many of you know you've got to have scarecrows because the birds will come eat the seeds out of the ground? How many of you know in the parable of the sower, it says that the birds come and they, they eat it and the devil wants to come steal the word from our hearts. How many of you know that the garden, we are God's husbandry or we are God's garden and he puts the word in us and the devil, just like birds come and steal the seeds out of the ground, the devil comes and steal the word out of our hearts. And any garden that you have, you're going to have to guard it. And that's why God says to keep it, to farm it, and to guard it. And then verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man. Now he's given him more instruction, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now that's a pretty serious instruction and guide. And, and, you know, it's kind of like this. If I'm guiding my family uh, and, and I'm showing them where to go, I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to guide you to turn right here because if you go on the road straight, it goes off a cliff. And I've got the map, and I'm in charge of the guiding here, and I'm going to guide my family as we drive the car. We're going to guide them right because if we go straight here, the map shows that we'll go off the cliff. And God spoke that to Adam, and he did not give it to Eve. And he says, here is the deal. Your purpose is to be here, and you're to, you're to farm this garden. You're, you're to put seeds in. And, and, you know, and it's interesting that seed, that we're called his husbandry or his garden. And that's over in Corinthians. And, and here, you're, you're supposed to be gardening, and then you're supposed to, to guard it. And then there's a parable later on about us being the garden and us putting the seed in and the devil coming and stealing it out of our heart. And so it wasn't just the garden of a bunch of ground in the Garden of Eden that Adam was putting seed into and protecting. There was a garden called Eve that he was guarding and putting seed into her, and it was God's word to not eat of the tree. He should have been putting seed into her, and the devil came and stole that seed out of her heart and said, it's not right. If the de- God says don't eat of the tree, you can eat of the tree, and that'll be fine. You'll not surely die. As a matter of fact, you'll become like God's, and God doesn't want you to know that. How many of you know Eve was the real garden that needed to be guarded? And Eve was the ground that he needed to put the seed into the soil. And that seed was, don't eat of the tree, because we're called to be here and plant a garden. And the garden is going to be our children, and the garden is going to be us putting the word into them. And when you go to Proverbs, excuse me, Psalms 28, let's just go there quickly, you'll see how true that really is, and what, what an amazing truth of how God put them in a garden and really... It wasn't just dirt and, and seeds. It was human heart and the word of God that was being sown. Psalms 128. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. That sounds like, you know, a garden. Happy shalt thou be, and thou shalt be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine. Everybody say fruitful vine. By the sides of thine house, and thy children like olive plants around about thy table. So now God likens the husband as the one who is gardening his wife and his children. That's Psalms 128. 
The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Thou shalt see thy children's children in peace upon Israel. But thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by thy sides and thine, of thine house, and thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Oh, so my kids are like my plants, and I'm supposed to put seed into them. And I give them the seed of the word of God. So, oh, so not only am I guided by the word of God, don't need to the tree. But now I can teach my children to be guided by the word of God, by me guiding them with the word of God and teaching them the word of God and my guidance and teaching them their guidance through the word of God. We all learn guidance together. And then we're like this fruitful garden and everybody's flourishing with fruit because I'm guiding my kids. Can I get an amen? It's the man's responsibility to guide the house. Elizabeth and Jess, Jesse, they applied at two different churches, one in South Carolina, big church, about 3,500 people, one in Texas, about 4,500 people, both perfect jobs, and both wanted them to come, both just great, everything just right, just wonderful type of church you want to go, you know, Jesse's graduated, Liz has graduated. They want him to come be the pastor of a 500-member youth group, and she's supposed to be in charge of all the arts and, and the social media, all that good stuff that she absolutely loves doing, public relations, marketing. Both really great. But the one church in South Carolina says, you know what, we're ready to take Liz. We want to give her a full-time job and a salary package and an offer and everything. And then we want Jesse to wait a while because we're not really sure where we're going to put him. The church in Texas says, you know what? We want Liz to have this job and, and all this great stuff and public relations and everything like that. And we want Jesse right away because we want to start training him to take over the youth group. I didn't even have to think two seconds to know which one was God's will. Didn't even have to think two seconds. As soon as they said that, the Spirit of God in me rose up and said, the, the, the church in Texas is my will because I guide through the man. And it's not Liz's job that they're supposed to follow after and Jesse help. It's Jesse's job that they're follow after and Liz is supposed to help. And they asked me, I says, well, you really want to hear my answer? Here it is, kids. And they go, you know what, Dad, you're absolutely right. That makes total sense. That's totally biblical. Now they've moved down there. How many of you know, if you're going to be guided in life, you've got to know what the Bible says. Basic biblical principles. Because I know that God guides through the man. Because God gave the admonition to get into the garden, to plant it and protect it. And protect it. And don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but eat of the tree of life. And he gave all that to the man. And he never spoke a word to the woman, Eve. And it was the man's responsibility to guide his Eve. And when you don't guide, there's a void that gets filled, man. Let me just say, let me just tell you. That first step of guidance is the right location, number one. Be in the right place at the right time, guys. Guide your family to church. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Guide your kids away from the wrong types of situations and people. You know, if, you, if you're in the wrong place at the right time, it isn't going to do any good. You've got to be in the right place at the right time. Just like when we came here to Oskaloosa. We had other opportunities that seemed much better. We had, we had other opportunities where the church is bigger, more, more, more finances, more uh, praise, more everything uh, where we wanted to go and, and all this. And, and you know what? God says, that is not where you're supposed to go. And he made it very clear. And that church blew up and had a church war. That church doesn't exist today. It was a nightmare. And every pastor I talked to that pastored, and there were several, I found out there were several pastors that had pastored that church. They said it was the church from hell. It's hell on earth. It says it was full of dissension, full of control, full of all kinds of bad, unscriptural things, and each pastor got ran off systematically. 
I'm so glad I got in the right place. How about you? Men, you need to know how to guide. You need to know where you're going. And the man in the garden, Paul sent Titus. He says, I'm sending you, Titus, to go set things in order. There's a reason for us to be at the right location at the right time. So number one, we need to know the right location. Number two, we need to know, uh, second step is to keep it or what to do at that location. You know, Paul told Timothy, go and set that, that church in order. It's all messed up. You not only need to know where you're going, but you need to know why you're going there and what you're supposed to do. And God shared with us that we're supposed to build a church, and it's supposed to be a word of faith, and it's supposed to be based in the word, and it was supposed to be our strong church that was based in the word of God and, and, the, and the move of the Spirit. And so I knew it, where I was going. I knew what we're, we're supposed to do here. Step number three, what not to do. The moral parameters, because God told Adam, he says, no, go into that garden, start sowing seed, protect the garden. And that was really talking about the seed of his wife as well, the natural and the spiritual, and the word of God being sown into her, or the plan to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but to eat of the tree of life. And that's not just a one-time deal. That's a way of life. If you want a way of life, the way of life is don't keep eating off the tree of the knowledge of evil. Because really, it's the knowledge of evil. It's the knowledge of good versus evil is really what that tree is. It's the delineation and difference between good and evil is what that tree will reveal to you. And many people keep eating off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they ought to be eating off the tree of life, which is the, which is the tree of obedience. Can I get an amen? See, the tree, of, the tree of life was just the tree of obedience and obeying God. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was, just the, was really just the tree of disobeying God. Your marriage can't work if you're eating from the knowledge of good and evil. It only will work when you're eating from the knowledge, or excuse me, the tree of life and obeying God. Can I get an amen? See, because if the husband's not guiding, there won't, it won't be very long, and there will be someone come along, and Adam, uh, if he does not guide Eve, all of a sudden in this command of God to not eat of the tree, and when, you know, where you live, God's plan, what your vocation is called, it, it makes a difference where you live. Think about, think about Abraham and Lot. How many of you think it made a difference when Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom? You need to know where you're going. You need to know where you're supposed to live. Where are you supposed to go to church? Where are you supposed to send your kids? School. What are you supposed to do? Because let me tell you something. Lot will affect your, excuse me, Lot in, in Sodom was affected in his family way more than Abraham and his family. Somebody say amen. Where you go to work, where you go to church, where you send your kids to school, good or bad influences. And if you're not guiding your wife and kids and you're eating of the fruit, there can, have, there can things happen like the devil will have a, will have a, will have a conversation with your wife and how many of you know the devil began to lead Eve? Adam was supposed to say, don't eat of that tree. Adam was supposed to say, if you eat of that tree, we'll die. But we see no record of him telling her, don't eat of the tree. Satan said, I mean, she must have known something because she says, well, God said if we eat of the tree. But someone's influence was far greater than the husband's. How many of you know if we don't guide, something in life will guide our spouse and our kids. You know, we can guide through daily Bible time and prayer. We need to lead morally. The husband must guide. Number two, he must guard. Genesis 2.15, he's told to keep the garden and to guard it. So number two, we must guard. Just like that sweet corn and the raccoons. Just like that Psalms 128, our wife and our kids are like vines and olive branches. 3.1 through 5, Adam was nowhere to be found when the devil had his very destructive and deceptive conversation with his wife Eve in the garden. Wow. Men, are you guarding your wife and kids? Their eyes, their ears, their heart. And the best defense is a good offense. Stay in the word and prayer. The best way I, I, you can guard against the enemy 
is submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Guard, guarding being you know, left alone. And you know what? Turn with me. You know, did you know the Bible says that wolves will creep in and take advantage of weak women? Spiritually, Satan was a wolf, and he took advantage of a weak woman named Eve. And a weak woman is a woman that doesn't have a, a strong, united relationship with her husband and a husband that yards her. I, I really believe in, and yeah, I don't want to put this all on the husbands, but, but I'm, I'm landed on the men today because there is a clear responsibility for us to take charge of the relationship. And some women won't allow their husband to. Only got one amen on that one. Some women won't allow their husband to guide them. Some women won't allow their husband to guard them. But you know what? That is, that is something that I believe is one of the most important duties of a man is to guard his house. How many of you today in the culture, you, you, sometimes you've got to guard your family from that stupid television set? Anybody believe that today? 1 Timothy 5, I'm just going to read some verses, 11 through 15. It says, but the, younger, but the younger widows refuse, for when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. And withal they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle but tattlers, also busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. And I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, Give none occasion for the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some have already turned aside after Satan. It can happen to men, it can happen to children. The, the man is called to guard against things physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, financially. He's to guard the women, guard the children, guard the house, guard all things that pertain to his family. We need to guard. Guard against what type of company, whether it's male or female, type of people they hang out with. Guard against the media, TV, music, being online, entertainment, gossipers, bad church, doesn't teach the word of God, it's religious, pharisaical, false, doctrinally errant, doesn't love God, doesn't do soul winning. You need to guard your family against the workplace, Family members that are bad, especially against media, 60% of all affairs start on Facebook. Let me say that again. 60% of all affairs and divorces start on Facebook. 33% of the people that go online go for sexual purposes. 17% become addicted to online sexual things. How many of you think we need to guard our families? There's a guarding. There is a guiding. And there is a guarding the garden and your Eve because the devil's going to come lie to her and try to get her to eat of the forbidden fruit. And then when you do that, you don't even have to teach the kids. They'll just naturally end up killing each other. How many of you know that their first two children, one murdered the other? How, what's that? Julie said, that's right. I thought, I thought she was saying something else. It is so important that in our, you know, we can have all kinds of cute little, little things that we talk about, and there's all kinds of marriage conferences, and there's some really good ones like with Dr. Mark, but there's all kinds of things that we can learn and waste time on. But if you get these three things right, you know, I'm a simple person. I like just keeping it simple. I'm, you know, I can remember guide, guard, and govern. I can remember that. How about you guys? How many guys can remember those three? Guide, guard, and govern. Pretty simple. You can even go guard, guide, and govern. Or guide, guard, and govern. You can do it either way you want. It's really simple. If the men will do that, so many of the problems will go away. If they'll teach their boys that, so many of their problems will go away. If they model that, the best gift you can give your kids is a good marriage. Did we hear that at their conference? We did. And it's awful quiet. So we guide with the word of God. 
We guard against outside forces that want to come steal the word. From those crows that want to come eat that seed. From those raccoons that want to come and eat that corn. You know, that corn really is just seed. Ultimately, you know, the corn they're eating is, is next year's crop that you would sow. And when we understand that, then the last one is to govern with the word of God. Eve led Adam into the act of disobedience. And you can look there in Genesis 3.6, and we can see, and again, I, I, this is not down on women. This is not trying to play blame game or anything like that. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and it was to be desired to make one wise, the pride of, you know, it's the lust of the flesh, lust the eyes and the pride of life. She took of the fruit of the, thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. That is so perplexing to me. She's leading and guiding him. Satan is leading and guiding her. And the whole pyramid is turned upside down. God is being ignored. When really we need to ignore the devil. And God guide the man and the man guide the woman. But we got the woman being guided by the devil and the woman and the man being guided by the woman who's guided by the devil and they all fall in a pit. But it ought to be God guiding the man and the man guiding the woman. Just the opposite. And yet in our culture today, there's so much of where this is, this is not clear. It's not defined. Young people don't know. You know it's all even Stephen, egalitarianism. And, and it's like nobody really has any authority and nobody can lead because nobody knows who's in authority and, and everybody gets offended if it isn't them that's the one in authority and, and that they really understood all authority is, is the one who has the greater burden that's been put upon them. Somebody say amen. That's all authority is, is the greater responsibility and the more difficult task. And men are afraid to confront and correct and, and to guard. And you know, to govern, oh, govern sounds controlling, Pastor Bill. I'll never forget one, one pastor's wife said, Yep, my husband, he does rule the roost. I got a little secret. I rule the rooster. I thought, oh, really? That's scary. She just thought she was the cat's you know, meow and just thought that was just really witty and, and clever. And I thought, dear it's a pastor's wife. And I thought, it's no wonder. It's no wonder we have trouble. It's no wonder marriages aren't happy. It's no wonder things are out of whack. Because if you love, you lay down your life for the person. If you lead, you lay down your life. Can I get an amen? Amen. Leading is about laying down your life. It's not being in charge of the rooster. I'm going to rule the rooster. <laughs> What? You're going to rule the rooster? How about lay your life down for Jesus? How about understanding leadership is an act of dying to yourself and sacrificing your life away for others? Can I get an amen? How about when you're the man in your leadership, it's about laying down your life for your family and rarely getting your way and making sure that we all do it Jesus' way. Somebody say amen. Unless you want to be the ruler because you got some type of control and you want to be the big shot and you're full of pride and ego and you're a narcissist and you want control for all the wrong reasons. But how about a laid down life like Jesus of leadership that is a servant and gives it all away and dies for all the right reasons? Somebody say amen. See, Sarah, very naively, talked Abraham into getting Hagar, the bondservant, and to have them come together and produce a child. Little did they know they were going to produce the ultimate hellion on planet Earth for all of eternity, Ishmael, who still is destroying the world today. Isis is Ishmael. Somebody say amen. That all goes back to a woman who wanted to guide. And a husband who didn't want to guide, he didn't want to guard, 
And he didn't want to govern her and say, I want to govern this situation with the word of God, and I want to share with you, that's not what God said, honey. Dear, God said we need to do this thing by faith. That's doing it by the natural means. See, that's what govern is. Govern means, you know, like a governor on an engine is, is making it so it can only go so fast. In other words, it's, it's having a, a safety mechanism so you don't drive too fast, so you don't kill yourself. Can I get an amen? That's, what gov- that's really where the word govern comes from. It's really safety. It's really love. It's really godly restraint on ourselves to not do the wrong thing. That's what gov- not, not dictatorial Adolf Hitler govern. No, we're not talking about that. We're not anything even close to that. We're talking about governing our family by guiding them, by guarding them, and by getting them to do the, what's right and getting them to be governed by the word of God, which hopefully the head of the household is governed by the word of God and he's teaching the rest to be governed by the word of God. Can I get an amen? That's what the governance is talking about. God told Abraham that he would give him a child. That's what they needed to be governed by because that was the word of God for them. I'm glad that we were governed by when God says, no, you're supposed to, you're supposed to go to Oscar. I'm so glad I obeyed that because that saved me from a whole bunch. Of, that saved me from an Ishmael church. God wants to save you from all kinds of Ishmael situations because he loves us. And I don't know why he tells Adam and not Eve, but I think that the man is supposed to be the leader and he's supposed to guide with the word of God. That's the only thing I know to guide with is the word of God. Anybody know any other way to guide other than the word of God? My opinion, we probably get it wrong every time. But if I follow the word of God, then I can lead accurately the way God wants us to lead. Come on, somebody say amen. See, be humble enough to be, you be guided by the word of God, and then you guide your wife with the word of God, and she guides the children with the word of God. How many of you think that makes a little bit of sense? See, that way we're all being guided, and we're being guarded, and we're being governed by the word of God, and the husband does have that responsibility. And the wife has the responsibility to allow him to guide, guard, and govern. That doesn't mean she doesn't have a will. That doesn't mean she doesn't have any say in any of the opinions or, or any of the decisions in life. But when, but when God has spoken, everybody say, but when God has spoken, you got to follow it. And somebody's got to guide that. Somebody's got to guard that. And somebody's got to govern that. Because the word of God is given for guidance. The word of God is given to guard us. The word of God is given to govern us. And when we realize that, our marriages can be blessed, and we can walk. In other words, the dad should be the word guy. Dad, say, I'm the word guy. Say that. I'm the word guy. We need to be word people, and we need to be uh, not like Adam. He, he failed. He really messed up, and we're still feeling the effects of it. But we need to be following. Jesus guards the church with the word. He guides the church with the word. And he governs the church with the word. And how many of you would say, Jesus is a good groom? How many would say, Jesus loves his bride? Can we follow Jesus' example of taking the word and using it to guide, using the word to guard, and using the word to govern? I think Jesus is a great example, and he uses the word for those exact same things that really Adam, the first Adam, failed at it. The second Adam prevailed with it. Let's stand up and let's be dismissed.